Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodman, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. I'm here this week in Provo, Utah at the Life, the Universe, and Everything conference, now in its 41st year. This week's guest is a professional reviewer by the name of Daniel Yoakum. We met yesterday on a panel on getting reviews. As you know from past podcasts, anytime I discover another aspect of publishing that I haven't already covered, I'm eager to include that in this lineup. Daniel is also involved with the League of Utah Writers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating community, empowering the writing and publishing goals of members, whether they be novice or professional, something very near and dear to my Writers of the Future heart. Reviews are a very important part of the publishing process, and we'll be discussing this along with the League of Writers Utah. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. So I became fascinated yesterday as you were talking on the, on the panel that you're a professional reviewer, and you do all kinds of stuff, including books. So how'd this come about? Actually, it started because I wanted to become a better writer, and I started writing reviews as a way of practicing my writing. And then they started getting noticed by a local magazine who asked, I actually met them at a different conference that no longer exists. And then I was like, I'm here to see what you guys are looking for. And they're going, hey, have you seen this guy that writes Guildmaster Gaming? And I went, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started writing professionally for them, uh, writing game, tabletop game reviews. And through them, it's just expanded of writing book reviews and then getting hooked up with a film festival. I now do film several different film festivals. I get books sent to me. I get games sent to me. And what I do is I write the reviews and then I resell them. So that's how I make my living is by selling my articles to other publications. Which is amazing. You know, that there's, I mean, I know that there are some publications that they publish these great reviews and I just assumed it was a staff writer or something like that and come to find out that there's people like, like you out there. Mm -hmm. So how's that process go then? How do you establish what... Because you do games, we've already done, you've yeah. done movies, but how is it that you work out with books and how do you come to find a book to review? So I'll admit, I've been doing this for a number of years and I no longer go out and solicit for reviews. I have not asked for review material for probably about four or five years. Uh, there's people that read my reviews or people I know that it's like even today, earlier today, I had an author come up and go, hey, here's my latest book. So I'm constantly now getting things from just going out and letting people know what I do. Um, and I let them make the decision. But where, like you're kind of saying about where I sell them off to, I found that I, I look for kind of like the niche markets. Because, yeah, you got the big places and they do have the staff writers. But I deal with some other smaller publications. Like I said, Utah Geek Magazine was the first one. They dealt with the geek community here in Utah. And that's how I got it is. I kind of found a niche market and said, I write these type of reviews. And they were like, that's what we're looking for. And I, I've been able to sell things to like some online publications for like movies made specifically in Canada. And they were like really excited because here was this American reviewer that was reviewing independent Canadian film. So it's things like that. Good. So then, so you got Canada, you got obviously United States, you mm -hmm. have other places too that you've I would imagine that you're, since you're selling, like, 
how does that go? You you send it out to these places, and mm-hmm. if they use it, they pay you, or how, yes. how does that work? That's exactly it. It's anybody that's written columns or done those type of things. You can query. Uh, a lot of times you can query out, just like you're querying a short story or a novel, uh, saying, I've got this idea that I want to write about, and sometimes I'll do that. I now have a number of places that are, they have open submissions, and I do that with a number of places where it's like, okay, here it is, I've got this article, and I send it off to them, and they either use it or not, and I just go from there. And you're right, I have developed my reputation because of the film festivals and the books I've done, that I have things sent to me from all over the world, and I have now got readers all over the world. That's awesome. Now, you've got, obviously, this is publishing I'm talking about here, so mm-hmm. books. So yes. do you also um, sell to magazines, review magazines, or I guess, is it trade, or is it is it um, um, genre, or what type of magazines do you sell to in all it's, over the world? or It's for all over the, that I do it, but it's usually some of the genre are specific to the particular area. Uh, if I find something that has, you know, a story, like I actually reviewed a book about how to survive divorce. Uh, it was a local author is like, Hey, yeah, you wrote this. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, and it was more about a self-help book type setup. So I searched out and found places where that was more of an interest to them, uh, for people that are basically starting over as a new single in your midst, you know, midlife crisis, what do you do? And that's what it was for. So I find, I look for it just like like you're saying, people that do short stories, they're looking for the magazines that they can sell to. I'm looking for the same thing. I'm looking for the sites, the magazines that are looking for those type of specific things. And then I just query them out and sell them off. Okay. Now our panel yesterday that we were on was on how to get reviews. Mm-hmm. And there was like a variety of perspectives on this from yes. you need to pay for reviews to get good reviews. And then you were... Just the opposite. So let's just, <laughs> yep. as a professional reviewer, <laughs> just tell me your take on, for I'm an aspiring author, which is a big audience for this podcast. So I'm an aspiring author, the value and importance of reviews and how to get them. So I think, and I've actually talked to a couple of my publisher friends after that uh, yesterday, because we did get a little heated there for a <laughs> bit, because uh, <laughs> I do have some strong opinions about it, because I've been doing this long enough and with the reviewers I know, because I know a number of movie reviewers, book reviewers, and game reviewers, and there's a big tie-in between them that the people that are pure on reviewers don't take money for their reviews. They're like me. We sell our reviews back out. Uh, we work that way. Mm-hmm. It's What I found is the ones that usually are wanting money is they're more for the marketing aspects of their own website uh, or whatever it is that they're supporting. So my personal view is don't pay for a review. And I've actually talked to one of my the local publishers here because he actually told me, I was, I'll brag myself up a little, I am his only reviewer that I get a hard copy of. Everybody else gets electronics that he has. But he was saying for him, he's found as a publisher, reviews are very, very important. So he has his lineup of reviewers. And then when he has a new book, based on what the book is, he makes sure which reviewers are getting set up to review that book. And a lot of times we'll get it before it becomes published mm-hmm. so that we can line up. So when it's coming out first early on, that our reviews are hitting out on our platforms or wherever else we sell to so that it can spread out and about. So it's kind of like, you know, it's a form of marketing, but it's like I try to tell people from before that when I've done this, I've actually done a presentation on this, how to use a review. A, 
Marketing uses reviews, but reviews are in essential just a step of marketing. They're not your marketing platform. And that's what I was trying to get people to understand yesterday was, yeah, get your reviews, get the people you know, but there's a whole nother level of how to do that and then what to do with them after you've got them. Exactly. Because their, their lifespan is either the, the length that the magazine is, is on the shelf or it's as long as... It's up there on a social post, you know, yep. whatever, but you got to keep on, how do you keep on using it, you know, whether it's going to be on cover blurbs or more descriptive copies. So yep. any more you, you can elucidate on that. So I'll say one thing. Uh, if you're looking for reviews, be very selective of who you go to because I have one advantage, and I know some people that do movie reviews, they have an advantage that they're on the web with their own blogs, their own publications. And the nice thing about those is once they're up there, that review stays. And I also share out to like Goodreads. I am one of those people I've never bought from Amazon. So my reviews don't go up there unless somebody cuts and pastes them over. And I've seen that happen. Mm -hmm. But once it's up on mine, I literally go back and check mine. And I'll see that I have people going back and reading things that I wrote eight, nine years ago. So just like we know the books are still out there, people come across something new and they, they like to go out and find it. So there's, that's one aspect to look at. Another thing that I've talked with new authors about, and it's one of those things that kind of get forgotten, you have to have, people hear about Kickstarter, you have to have like a marketing team for Kickstarter. You really, in my opinion, should have the same thing for every book you're putting out. So what you should do is you have your alpha readers and your beta readers, well, you know they're going to be all over it. But you need to have people that are sharing those reviews beyond that initial circle. And that's like one of the things we talk about in our organization is if you see somebody else that's promoting a book, share it. It doesn't cost you anything to share it out on your platform through your you know social media, if it's Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, because then it starts hitting new readers, new eyes. And that's one of the things I've seen a lot of times that even when I've reviewed books for people, I can see my numbers and I can tell the people that are really new at it that it's like, you know, they'll go and get hardly any readership on the review and other ones that immediately they're just, they're just bouncing all over the place, all over the world mm -hmm. that people are coming in to read those reviews. So it's, there's still some work for the author afterwards to make sure that review is used properly to get the word out, not just go, oh, I got a review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, have you found um, any type of a sweet spot on reviews and the number of reviews you should get on a book minimally? Um, I'll admit, I haven't really worked on that too much, but I know some people and we've talked about it. And it really depends on where you're going. I know like Amazon has a certain number of like thresholds to get certain promotional material, uh, certain things that happen there. Uh, Goodreads is another one that if you just get more and more on there, it kind of just helps out because it kind of raises that the number of reviews are on there. So, and like I said, it really, I've seen a very widely difference between different books and how the authors use it. And I can, I can always tell from my experience, I know from the experienced authors I worked with where I've done a number of their books, for me, my numbers are going to jump as soon as that review goes out there because they're going to share it out and other ones don't. So yeah. the number of reviews, I'm not sure in the level of I do is important. Mm -hmm. What I found is how is the review used after it is published? 
Okay, that's that's an important thing. I absolutely agree with that. I know with writers of the future, we obviously have a, a nice base, mm-hmm. and I've got the judges and past winners who have gone on to very successful careers and get reviews from them. And so I've got, I think we do three blurbs in the back for the book cover, and then on the front pages we have another probably twenty reviews, and yep. I just rotate through. We got, you know, the the. Publishers Weekly Library Journal, but we also have Locust, and we've got, you know, Pat Rothfuss who says, "Without Rise of Future, I would not be where I am today." We have those types of reviews, yep. and then writer judges, illustrative judges. It just it makes it very easy, you know, for people to get that idea. Obviously, we're now in the fortieth year of their contrast, mm-hmm. so we've got a lot of street cred already that's accumulated for for writers of the future, but on. Have you found like if you do just online or do print or on the use, obviously using the the review after it's been obtained is that's the that's the the trick to make it make it pay off. So, any particular ways that you've observed works better than others? So I've seen a couple of things that work really well. It's like I said, having that marketing team uh, where you have friends that will you know just kind of share it out and start hitting new eyes because. Something that I read, I know not everybody's going to like. Mm-hmm. And it's just like what I write, I'm for the most part, my wife just can't stand. Uh, <laughs> so, But I can get it out to people. I know that it gets shared beyond that. And I have a lot of fun with that because sometimes you can kind of follow just where does the review go. So I think that's one thing is getting that. If you have a publication that you know uses them, I've had one author, what they did is they took one of my reviews and it became part of of an advertisement that they then put in a local magazine. And they actually sent me a copy of it say, hey, look, here's what we did. And it generated because now they had, here's this blurb of the review, and then they used the link back to where they could read the full review, and it gave them a much bigger push because that gave this outside credibility. I think you're right, too, about blurbs and books. And as a reviewer, I'm going to tell you, it's a real fun thing to all of a sudden see that, you know, in a book, on a book cover, you got your blurb. Or, uh, you know, on a movie poster, I've had that happen. I had that happen in Australia. I mean, I, someone shot me back a picture that the Australian movie poster had my blurb on it. It's like, all right, you know, that's... That's cool. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pump up for me, too. Yeah. And at the same point, what that did is the next time they said, hey, we got something else we'd like you to review. It's like, you bet. I mean, it's a nice trade-off uh, that you can do as an author or a producer or whatever to make the reviewers feel good because they're getting this additional credibility that spreads their ability to do more work and have a, a wider audience. Okay, that makes sense. Do you have a viewpoint on I'll re- review your book if you review my book? Um, it gets really touchy there because... I'll admit, when I started reviewing, I had a mentor, and they were a food critic for a local magazine and were very well known. Um, But her stance was, if you don't like it, don't write it. And I've taken it one step further, and that is every piece of art has an audience. I might not be that audience. So I try to write my reviews to be very specific to that. And I actually know a reviewer that completely lost their credibility for constantly writing negative reviews. they actually got hired unknowingly by a movie company to write reviews of their movies, and then they killed every article that he wrote. And because they had him in a contract, 
He couldn't publish it anywhere else. And he eventually, they drove him right out of business as being a reviewer. So when you're talking about doing an exchange of my review for your review, you have to be careful who it is. Make sure it's somebody that actually likes what you're writing in. You know, make sure it's the right genre, the right style. I mean, you're not going to give something, you know, a young a YA author, something that's really hardcore military sci-fi because it's not their style and it's going to be, they might not want to write a good review. Um, but if you have someone that you know that's writing the same basic things you are, I think it's a great thing to kind of do. We see that all the time with the blurbs in a lot of books where you get an author that, you know, you go to another author that has a lot more credibility maybe in, an, in a wider and a different audience that writes a blurb that goes in your book. So when people see it, they go, oh, they enjoyed my this book. I like their writing. Now I can move on. Okay. So on, on getting reviews, any cautionary tales you can uh, offer up? So besides not paying for them? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's always been one of mine. Like I said, with the reviewers, I know that's it's still, it's an ongoing constant argument with reviewers. Do you pay for a review or not? That's one of the biggest ones to watch for. One that I mentioned yesterday, I also believe in, is be careful of those reviewers that say they have to have a hard copy. Because my aspect is, why do you have to have a hard copy? I mean, that's the only thing that's going to do is say that you can put it in your library. The only other reason why I've known some reviewers to do that, and I've known this in other areas like in tabletop gaming, they want you know, a final copy is because then they go and sell it. And if you get some of these games that you got the prototype or one of the first editions, they start to go up in value. Mm -hmm. And that's all they're trying to do is figure out another way of you know, monetizing the review process. If you're okay with that, okay. But if you are trying to watch what you're doing and getting a good solid review for what it is, I'd say be careful about what they're asking for and see what it is. Um, a good reviewer, in my opinion, does not have to be bought by who's doing having been reviewed because they're going to have a market of where they can sell to or they're following on lines or, or anything like that. Right. Yeah, with when I send out like Writers the Future each year, we have a list of a couple hundred reviewers and I send an email offering. Some will say I prefer hard copy, but by and large, I just send the, the ebook. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I read usually a book a week. I, I met one of our past uh, winners, Marta Sprout, yesterday on the panel. She yep. was, the, you know, she was yeah. the moderator. She was a winner in volume 10. So she gave me a book. She sent to me an e-book. I can motor through that and be ready for my podcast interview with you tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock. Yeah. You know, so cause I, like to, I have to read a book in order to be able to interview an author. So for me, it's a lot easier to have an e-book because I can just – a little bit here, a little bit there, wherever yep. I am, just, just to get through it. Now, I will admit, as a reviewer, if you're going to send me a hard copy, yeah, I prefer that. Because then I can make marks in it. If there's something I really like, something that kind of catches me off that I want to kind of follow up on, I can, you know, dog ear the page. I can, you know, drop a mark on there. And then also I can go back and use that material because I've marked it. And it's easier that way than an ebook. Sure. But I... I my thing is, is when they say, well, I only review hardcover. It's like, why? Why do you only? Because 
like I said, I got my start in tabletop gaming. I have literally played prototypes where I got a box with pieces in it, with a deck of regular cards, with Sharpie marker writing what the different cards are supposed to mean. I've played games on foam board. Yeah, it's still, the creation is there. It's not a finished product and you don't need it. I've read arcs that still have uh, copy edit notes. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, you can still do the review. You don't have to have the finished product. Sure. I'm kind of, I wouldn't have a problem writing in those types of books. I'm very old school and I was oh, yeah. thoroughly taught don't <laughs> write in books. So I like that. I like using my Kindle because then I can make my notes yeah. using the Kindle that lets you do that. So I can go back and refer to my notes that way. And, uh-huh. and that way I have not destroyed a, a book. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of however that was implanted into my mind. Do not you know, write on books. It definitely was and remains yeah. so to this day. I understand. Yeah. I, I still have, I have problems with, if it's, I'll admit there's some of them, I will keep a notepad. Because I have. Tabbies. I have yeah. tabbies. I've, I've had people that, yeah, their book had just gotten published and they've caught up with me and said, here it is. And I'm going, you're, they just gave me a first edition book that they've signed yeah. to give to me. And yeah, that one, the notes are going on the side. But if I get one that, you know, like it's marked not for resale because it's a review copy, yeah, I'm making notes in it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I'm tracking with that. That makes sense. So now on, on reviews, I mean, it's, it's gotten to be such a, a thing for, I got to reviews or I'm not going to sell. Yeah. Now you commented about marketing and mm-hmm. reviews are a piece of that. So- Again, from your perspective, and I know I've got mine as a publisher looking at the right. whole, whole line of it, but you're right, the view in and of itself has a very short lifespan. It's got to be used like as part of the, your marketing program to really get, get the, the real payoff on that. How have you observed that it's, that it's worked better than others on okay. part of the marketing cycle? So on the marketing cycle in the first part, it's like what you're saying right there, uh, is getting it out, that marketing team to spread it out as far as possible. And you just kind of, you know, you blurb it out. If you're, if I do a review and I've done some reviews, uh, pre-publications. So like you've said, you've used it. I've had blurbs that are inside the book or on the back cover. Sure. And, or for some of the anthologies, like I have done the LTUE anthologies that they do. And I've seen like the next year I've had my blurb from the previous anthology on the cover saying, this is what was thought of the previous one. And just for those of you who don't know, LTUE is Life, the Universe, and Everything. Yep. It's the conference here that we're attending right now. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. I mean, you mm-hmm. can use them that way. One thing I found as a reviewer, I think I look at it a little bit different because I see there's a different life cycle besides just that initial publication. Because once the book's made, the books are out there. Right. And like I was saying earlier, I have seen... For some unknown reason, all of a sudden, a book review that I wrote five, six years ago will all of a sudden get this huge spike of readership. And what I've kind of reached out and found out, sometimes people re-release a book. They change the cover. Uh, I know someone that recently did that. They got picked up by a different publisher. They put a new cover on and said, hey, this book's coming out again. And all of a sudden, they used my review again, and there's all this big readership. So the review itself can have a double or triple life if you can, you know, and our, another aspect I've seen someone do is they've used an earlier book as a promo piece. 
but they were able to use the review saying, hey, I've got this. I'm going to sell this book off real cheap. Here's what this person said about it. And then that gets people involved in the series or into their writing. So it can have all sorts of different lifespans depending on where you are in your personal life cycle of that book or in a series or in your whole library of, of work. Okay. Now, timeline. How does that work on reviewing specifically books and what's when should a person get a book to a reviewer? It depends on what you want to do with the review. Um, if, like, like I said, I've had some that I've gotten a period of time beforehand, and the publisher came back and said, if you can get us a review by this date, we will take a blurb and drop it in the book. So I've worked with that to make sure, okay, and I've gotten that usually uh, six to eight weeks prior to them going to press. So that gives plenty of time of reading, working up an article, reworking the article. I mean, anybody that runs writing, you know that, I mean, I go through a, my simplest process is I write, rewrite, and polish. That's what I call it. Uh, then I actually, if it's a, depending on what it is, I might have someone else kind of go read through this, make sure it makes sense, especially if it's something that's a little bit more complex. So you have to have enough time for that. So if you want something to be included in your book, you need to be working with whoever is publisher, if it's self-published or someone else, to make sure you got a good six to eight weeks before going to press to make sure you got everything included. And for a professional reviewer, that's one thing too. Or if you're trying to get blurbs from another author. Right. Um, that's a big point. I've seen people mess up there like, oh, I was trying to get, you know, so-and-so to do on this, but they said they couldn't do it. And it's like, yeah, so when you're publishing, well, next week. Yeah, no crap. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you're not going to get a book read that fast and be able to do a good write-up on it. Um, so you know, that's one thing. If it's after it's been published, then you have to kind of look at what are you trying to do with your marketing. If you're going to do a, you want something quick, you still need to try to get something out before it hits the market so that you can have something with that when it hits the market. You mentioned that yesterday, and the thing is, you know, having your reviewers lined up so they've already read the book so that when it's released, you've got a number of reviews that can start hitting, that can mm -hmm. be used. That's very important. Again, you need you know usually four to six weeks just to give people a chance to do that. So I think that's one of the biggest things right there is don't expect a quick turnaround, especially if you're going with people that, like myself, that do this for a living. Yeah, I read fast. I'll admit it. Uh, I don't read that fast. And almost always, I have a queue of books that are sure. lined up that I'm working through and constantly working on. So I would say give your reviewers a good four to six weeks before you want the review used. Good. I know with like Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, it's minimally three months. Uh, Booklist wants four months. And those, those are the trade publications, which if you're going for that, you need to, you need to think with that. Um, but otherwise, like you said, with with a reviewer, if you don't mm -hmm. give them much time, they're not going to get through it. And so if your whole pitch is, I want this for my release, and you give them two weeks, then you're not gonna, they're not even going to bother trying to do something on it because you've already said, here's the rules of engagement. I want a review from you that I can use for the release, and yep. there's no way they can make it. So, You know, there's a good analogy of this when a lot of places they'll have a submission window. Mm -hmm. so that they have time for their next edition of whatever they're doing. They have this submission window, so they have plenty of time to read through everything. Kind of consider that with the reviewer. I mean, we have to have that time to sit down and read. So, you know, we 
I know some reviewers that actually talk about a submission window, but most of them it's because it's such an ongoing process. We don't talk that way, but we have to have time to get through whatever it is. Yeah. 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 And if you're, if you're serious about getting a reviewer to review it, you've got to grant that. And it's, in your world, this is the most important book that's ever been written. However, yep. it's only your world. Yep. <laughs> we were, I was talking to an author earlier today where it's like, oh, we all think, you know, that book's our child. Yeah. But every parent knows at some point that child moves out of the house. Yeah. And we have to kind of treat that same type of with our with the books and as a reviewer, it's the same thing. It's at some point you have to let it go. And one thing, if you write column work like I do in writing articles for people, it's even more so because I have such a log that once I publish something, I'm probably not going to go back to it unless someone comes back and said, oh, here's an error in that article and I can go back and fix it. And I'm willing to do that. But as soon as it's done, I've got the next book, the next game, the next movie that's online to say, okay, I need to start working on that. Yeah. And you got your cue to go through. And as a professional reviewer, mm -hmm. that's your gig. Yep. You know, that's, you know, you got your slot for each thing as it comes along. And if the guy gets it, that's great. If they, if they make the cut, that's great. If they don't, then... Move on now. Have you experienced, and this is a silly question because I know what the answer is, um, <laughs> obnoxious people saying, you know, who try to shame you into reviewing or to try to trick you into reviewing or to badger you into reviewing? I have had that happen. And it doesn't go well because I get to control my cue. Um, and I basically told them that. You know, they try to force something on me and, and some of them, it's like, I don't have a market for that type of book to review. You don't want me reviewing it. And they kind of kept pushing. It's like, and yeah, I told them, okay, I finally, it's like, I'll take it, but I am not going to guarantee I write an article on it. Because if I can't sell the article, there's no reason why I should be writing it. Right. Well, you know, and that's why I think, you know, everybody kind of knows you have to kind of, you know, kind of take that in consideration. So yeah, I have had that happen. And one thing I always tell people, too, is along those lines is, yeah, like we were saying earlier, it's your baby. You know, this is it. Like the mom bringing their, their princess daughter to the dance yeah. class. Oh, she should be the prima ballerina in your show. And I, I really kind of hate to say it this way because it sounds really bad, but I almost always get that type of response from people that are self-published. You know, they've, they've gone through and they put all this work in and everything, and they think they've got this great book. And the ones that push hardest on that are a lot of times the type of books that, like in the first opening paragraph, I'll see three grammatical errors, you know, and things like that, or, you know, something that just is a, you know, in the first chapter, you can see there's a major plot hole just opening up. Right. And it's like, okay, you know, it's, so the reviews are important, but you got to make sure that the product is where it needs to be. And I think that's probably every time... And I, it's kind of funny. Every time I've had someone badgering me to do a review, and it doesn't matter if it's been a book, a movie, or a game, they've really pushed it. Almost every single time, there's been a serious flaw. That makes sense that it would be. So with the, um, yeah, like with Writers of the Future, I mean, that's one of the things that disqualify, or not going to say disqualifies, that gets the, the person bounced at, earlier on is, yep. In the first paragraph, you've got the typos. It's like this person doesn't even care enough to make sure that the product itself is presentable. Yep. You know, it's 
And that definitely wouldn't happen through traditional publishing. Mm-hmm. But as more and more independent publishing and self-publishing takes place, those you can't scrimp on on the quality control, right? Because it's it is a turnoff. Yeah, you'll get some people that will read those, you know. And I've done a lot of independent reviews for independent authors, and yeah, some of them are really good, and some of them are just really bad. I'll admit there have been books that I did not finish because they were just too hard to read. Yeah. And it wasn't because the story was better that it was just they were literally too hard to read because they needed to go through a good story edit. Yeah. And that's and that's also it's not so much a problem, I think, with people have a good alpha and beta readers or a writing workshop that they're part of mm-hmm. that, they, that they can get some good criticism. Because if all they're doing is relying upon family as the, and best friends as their as their go-to readers, it's it's not it's not good for them. Right, right. And this, you know, I'm going to kind of branch out. I know we're talking about yeah. writing, but it also branches out into other things. I've seen it so many times where, you know, in other things like in tabletop games, especially where they've had their own group and they they know all about this, and we've gone through and played it with them. And we're going, wait a minute, and they're going, but this this and this. I go, it didn't say that in the rule book, and they're like, oh, so. It, any type of writing, it's the same, same things. As we've always talked about, I'm sure you've learned and the listeners have heard, you know, always have someone else read it, you know, have read it aloud because you'll find things that your brain is automatically putting in mm-hmm. that is not on the page. That's usually what I find is from those type of books is you can tell that there's something missing that the author just knows, but they never tell us. Right, right. Yeah, we've got a... Um a free online workshop that we put together a few years ago uh, for Writers of the Future, um, which we have about a dozen videos, individual videos from Dave Wolverton, Orson Scott Card, and Tim Powers on all the different sections and pieces of of writing stories. And we've had, I think we're over 7,000 people now um, on the course. And it's been, you know, very successful. It's just part of the whole, you know, the whole... A mantra of Rise of Future. Yeah, I heard about that last year at this conference, and I've been kind of working on some of it here and there when I've been okay. able to. Well, maybe after this, I'll, I'll send you the link newly on that to, to do one of your professional reviews, just going <laughs> through it as you know, they know that you're Ooh. doing. <laughs> no pressure there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, it, if it fits your criteria, then I'll, I'll qualify it like that. <laughs> but on... Um, yeah, the whole like the reason I wanted to have you on this this podcast is because we have so many um, writers that are desperate to to make it, you know, and yes. they'll get advice saying, "Oh, you need to get reviewed. Oh, you need to this," and they'll hear from in publishing. I imagine like everywhere, but in publishing, which you're more familiar with, you'll find that the sharks and the barracudas and whatnots that'll try to, you know, they'll take advantage of your desperate desire to make it say look you've got to do this give me five hundred dollars give me a thousand dollars and i'll make sure blah yep i actually in a one presentation i did i kind of used the experience of the gold miners in california the you know the 49ers uh the people that made the most money were the ones selling the shovels yeah so it's again you got to watch for those and i've actually seen that in some websites where they were charging uh the artists so much money to get a review done and everything. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, you would have to sell so much to recoup that. 
but the website was doing great because they were selling that to a number of different people. So yeah, there is a lot of that shark taking place. And that's one reason why I say, be careful about paying for reviews or what they're asking for, because there's, there's usually something a little bit different going on there. Exactly. And I think that's why it's important to take a look at, like you said, you don't have an account with Amazon, but the Kindlepreneur, um, some of those things, there's not a whole lot of money that goes into it to get your right. book published. And if you have your the review from Daniel that they can then reference in there, you know, and other and other reviews, right. which you can load in there when you when you upload your book, you can put those reviews in there. Yeah. You're not spending a lot of money, and if and if you read the rules in there, in how to do uh, Kindle, you can actually get yourself some some good sales and monetize it. But the marketing has to be done. But it's just I, I hear so many horror stories over the years of people that paid this much money to make it, and they end up with books in their garage. You know, that just it didn't go anywhere because. Yeah, vanity presses are still a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And not every press where you self-publish is a vanity press, but if, right. if, if all you're doing is paying for somebody to give you something that's going to end up with books in your, in your garage, then, yeah, that's what that is. Yeah. And I think a lot, one of the things, too, is like one of the panelists was saying, you know, you've got to just move on to write your next book. And I agree with that to a certain extent. But if you've got something out there, you, and even these people that do that writing, they're still doing the marketing. And... I've even talked to very professional writers that that's all they do now, and they still have to go out on the book tours. Mm-hmm. They're still doing the marketing. There's still a big part for them to do. They, it can't all be done by the publisher. So it, there's a lot still for the individual to still grapple with and remember that that's going to take place, and it's, yep. it's there. Absolutely. Now, you've read some of the Writers of Feature books? Yes, I have. What's been, your, yeah, what's been your take on them? Oh, I've always enjoyed them. I'll admit that. I am a short story lover. I have, I mean, it goes clear back to when I might, my youth back in high school and junior high school, Robert Lynn Aspern, Rogers and Lindsay. Um, Delazny was one of our judges. Yeah, yeah. Jose Farmer from the 50s. A winner. You know, from way, way back. I mean, you know, I have always loved short stories. So like the first time I stumbled across a writer of the future, I went, whoa, here's a collection of top short stories. And I just loved it. And I have, every time I've picked one up, whenever I have a free chance, I always, it's almost always I have an anthology that I'm reading as pleasure reading. Uh, And I do a lot of reviews of anthologies because, yeah, I do. They know I like them. And, in fact, I just finished working on editing an anthology that's going to be coming out in in another month or two. So, yeah, I I think it's a great, amazing thing. and then everything that comes out of it from, you know, the superstars and, and all that training and everything is just, I've been able to, over the years, I've been able to actually follow some of the people's careers of what happened from the work that, what they did to get into the writers of the future. And then the extra learning that they got from it and then where they've been able to take it. And it's, it's a fun thing for me to watch. I have a lot of joy in seeing other people succeed. Which is great. Yeah. Are you familiar with any of uh, Mr. Hubbard's writings? Uh, yes. Yeah, I've, it's been a while since I've read anything of his. But, yeah, I, science fiction and fantasy is something I started reading back when I was very, very young, back in the early 70s. Um, 
but yeah, I've read some of his and Battlefield Earth is one of the ones that I really enjoyed reading. I remember that as a kid reading that one. Battlefield Earth is one of his he wrote that in the early eighties. That was one of the more popular yeah. has been remained one of the more popular than yeah. and then um just as a as a point, he wrote that four and twenty five thousand words in eight months. And he went the year later and wrote the 1.2 million word Mission Earth also in eight yep. months with two manual typewriters that he used, rotating them as one broke. He'd get that sent to the shop, <laughs> use the next one, and just kept on alternating them. All right, so now I'm going to bridge over into the League of Utah Writers. Okay. So um, tell me a bit about that because we have so many winners that come from Utah and right here, we're, we're right down the street from Brigham Young University, mm -hmm. and we've had Orson Scott Card as a judge. We've had Dave Wolverton, a.k.a. Dave Farland, yep. and Brandon Sanderson, who now currently teaches the, the, the creative writing class at BYU. Yep. So what is it about Utah and how much, you know, so League of Writers and... Yeah, so the League of Utah Writers is an organization that's now been around for over 85 years. It started out with another kind of a Western United States one that kind of started falling apart. So the league just kind of combined themselves and said, okay, we'll just continue going. Uh, there's actually chapters within the league that are older than the league. Wow. <laughs> so, but it's, what it is, is we have now over 20 chapters around the state of Utah. But the nice thing about it is you do not have to live in Utah to be a member. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I love your names. I just, I realize I'm cutting you off here, but like there's... Yeah. Blue Quill Chapter. That's older than the league, that one. That wow. is the oldest chapter that we have. And then Cash Valley Writers, Fellowship of the Ink, Flaming Gnomes, Good AF Writers, Heritage Writers, Harriman Chapter, Infinite Monkeys, Just Right, LaSalle Legends, Nebo Novelists. What's Nebo? Um, Nebo is a town. Okay. Um, so a lot of these are Red Butte Bards. Yeah, just really fun names you've got here yep. for all these different chapters. Yeah, they get a name themselves. I'm actually the president of the Infinite Monkey Genre Writers. All right, that works. And like what we tell people is we take our writing serious, not ourselves. And it's based off of that probability, possibility, you know, argument about if you put an infinite number of monkeys at typewriters, eventually they'll type out the entire works of William Shakespeare. Right. Yeah, we haven't accomplished that yet, but we've turned out some pretty good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But we have a lot of fun with it. But so the, the organization in general, uh, we do a couple of conferences every year, once in the spring, a smaller conference. They call that the pre-quill mm -hmm. because in August we have the quills. And to give you an idea of how this has changed over the years, way back in the earlier times, that was known as the Western Roundup Conference. Wow. So, and I mean, they used to have a lot of big names come in, uh, like Louis L'Amour actually came and spoke a couple of times in those early conferences. But uh, we kind of change it because too many people are going, oh, they just do Western. It's like, no, we cover everything. As you're going through some of the chapters, uh, like the Red Butte is a poetry chapter. We have, they've started a chapter that's specific for screenwriters. Cool. So it's every style of writing. We have very literary writers. We have columnists. Uh, we have several of us in the in the ch uh, league all the way around. That That's where we make our money is basically writing articles for different magazines and newspapers. We have people that have over 20 books published, uh, you know, through publishing houses. We have some, a number of people that are very much have been 
self-published in a lot of ways. Right now, our current president, Brian Young, he has done a lot of work in the Star Wars franchise. He has also written in uh, Battletech Universe, and he's got a new book coming out in the Shadowrun Universe. So, I mean, very, very wide range of so many different types of talents and at different experience levels. And that's what makes it good is we're all kind of coming together to help each other no matter at what level you are. Mm -hmm. uh, to help you accomplish the, your goals as a writer. In our chapter, we have one person, we asked him one time, said, hey, you know, who wants to get published? And we had two people in our chapter say, I don't care if I ever get published. And we're, a lot of us, you know, are going, wait a minute, you don't care? And they go, no. One of them, they wanted to create their memoir so they could hand it down to their children. So it's like, we can do that. Why not? We'll help them do that. So yeah, there's times they'd bring in their, their memoirs. And we'd go through the critique of how to maybe better explain things. So, and that's what it is, is we have all that sense of community. Uh, our chapter, and most of them do like two meetings, at least two meetings a month. Some of them do it every week. Mm -hmm. um, but we do one where we have a presentation, and it's usually from someone like uh, Johnny Worthen, who has a number of books, was our, in our chapter. And he did a presentation last month on story basics, you know, story structure. And it's something he teaches at the University of Utah. So it's, you know, here it is. We've got this person that's going through, and we had a lot of new people going, oh, okay, this is the different types of story structure that you can use. Uh, we also had Talissa Saints, who is one of the guest people here at the conference this month as an editor. She's a nationally recognized editor. She did a presentation on sentence structures. So you could learn all these different things. So we have that. But we've also had people come in about how do you find an agent? We've done, how do you query? You know, so it's all sorts of different things that we do present presentations on. And then we do regular critique sessions where people can bring in their work and we work in small groups and help them, you know, finalize and bring it up to a quality thing. And then we have- Is this online or live or both? We, 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 right now we've been doing it online uh, just because it's still kind of coming out of the pandemic. Because you're talking about international and people yeah. from all over can So we use, we use online tools where people can share their work uh, through like Google Docs. Right. And then we can go in. In ours, we have a Facebook page and Google Docs. So someone will say, hey, I just dropped you know, my third chapter of the book that I, I'm trying to work on. I've got a problem there. Can somebody go through and just tell me if the characters work? And we'll have a, several people you know, jump on it and go through and say, okay, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I think, and they can take that advice. You know, you're the author, you're the authority, you make the final decision. Sure. But it's a great way because you're getting, what I like about it is you get such a wide range of viewpoints uh, from the different levels and different eyes, different age of people, you know, different backgrounds. So it's it's a great alpha read. Um, so that's one of the things that we do on the chapter level. On the league level, some other things that they do that is a lot of fun in conjunction with the conferences is they hold an annual writing contest, and it's a cash award contest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've already told you, like, the experience we have there. And so, I mean, it's for poetry, short stories, screenplay, you know, books that have been published in the past year, all sorts of things. And they've even wrote, opened up areas now for, like, people like me that write articles. Uh, so you got all these different things, but if you're a beginner, you don't have to worry about competing against the people that have been doing it for a long time because we have a new voices section. 
So if you've never made money at your writing, there's a whole other category of different genres of you know horror shorts or you know literary shorts, all these things for people that are new voices. So you're not competing against someone that has published 20 books. Right. The only sad thing is, is if you win one of those, you've now earned money at your writing, so you can no longer compete in it. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So, you know, they have that, and they take, like, the best of the best there, and they give you an offer uh, to resubmit to their annual best of. And then they take who's resubmitted and then work out just a normal submission process. They also, every year, do an anthology call. So... This year's We Are Dangerous is the theme. You know, so it's like anything that deals with danger as a writer or even the characters, that's the theme. So they just finished off the call at that the end of January. So they do one of those every year. Mm-hmm. So the nice thing from the league level is they're helping people get publishing credits along with award credits and everything like that. And a lot of the chapters, we try to do the same thing in some way. So our chapter, like I said, I just finished off helping edit an anthology. That's because we have a new one coming out from our chapter, and we've done a couple from before. We also do writing retreats. Uh, We work together with other chapters doing different contests. Right now, they've got the fantastic first five. It's the first five pages of your book. So it's a first chapter contest that's taking place totally separate from all the other contests. And it's a great way that people are actually judging other people's work and giving critique as long as they're also getting that being judged and critiqued by the people. So it's everybody working together Mm -hmm. uh, just to help everybody get better. But it's international. So people, Mm -hmm. I mean, because this podcast is listened to by over 110 countries. So somebody from from South Africa can go online to... Uh, yeah, League of Utah Writers. If you look up League of Utah Writers, you'll find us, the website. Okay, good. And you can sign up for that and yeah, and just say, Daniel sent me. Yeah. Actually, you don't even have to sign up to check it out. That's one of the things they've done that I think is really neat. And we tell people all the time, you can go, if like if you want to zoom in on a meeting and see what they're doing, you're more than welcome to come and join us. It's like we do with our forum on Writers of the Future. You can yeah. come in and just... The, the lurkers or whatever they call themselves, you know, yeah. just came in to look and see what's happening. And then when they see, okay, this is cool, then they sign up and they can then participate yeah. and comment. Yep. And actually in those meetings, you can participate in everything. The only thing, once you become a member, that gives you like a discount to our conferences, a discount to the writing contest. It also gives you access to our, we have a speaker series that takes place. Uh, because we have some really well-known authors of some of the connections they have. We've had people come in and do Q&As. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Salvatore come in and do a QA for the entire League of Utah Writers on a Zoom meeting. It was like, okay, you know, if you're a fantasy writer, that was, it was, it was a lot of cool. fun. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, and we've had other things like that too, you know, so they, they have some good connections that they bring in. And, and so that to program. join, is, is, is it free to join? It's $30 a year. Three dollars a year to join. Yep, and that gets you into either just as a league member, or you that gives you membership to one chapter. If you want to join more chapters, that's also acceptable, and it's an additional fifteen dollars per chapter. Now we also understand there's a lot of young writers. You know, this conference especially is focused to the student writers. So the league, it's five dollars for people under the age of eighteen. So if you're a student and you're trying to just learn the trade. 
it's a great way to get a lot of lessons for almost no cost. Absolutely. That's, that's definitely a, quite the advantage to being the, the student. Yep. Yes. All right. Now, one thing is, like I mentioned, Utah has more winners than any other state. So as a Utah person working with Utah writers, I don't know what your affiliate with, affiliation with any of the universities or not, but besides speculation on the water in Utah, <laughs> what, would, what, do you, what do you see? Because it's our best. When we come here to um, the uh, Salt Lake City Fan X, mm-hmm. we sell more books here than any other, conf- any other convention in the U.S. So there's a lot of readers, a lot yes. of people that like you know, the short fiction as well as the big books too. What is it about Utah? What is it that you see makes it so good? I think there's a few things, and you've already mentioned part of it. I mean, when you have people like Dave Fullerton, who is doing the BYU Writing Center. I mean, and you consider who he taught and, you know, some of the things he was involved with bringing in. Yeah, that creates this very strong community. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a number of other writers that, you know, started here and moved away and then they moved back. And, you know, and, you know, so there's just, I mean, all over Utah, up and down, you know, it's like people say, oh, it's across the Wasatch Front, you know, Salt Lake. And no, I mean, we have, you know, Great writers from St. George that still live down there. Uh, People, you know, towards Moab, you know, that teach over in Grand Junction, Colorado, you know, and have their businesses down that way. You know, all the way across, there's, I remember a few years back seeing an article that said, per capita, Utah has more writers than any other state. And I kind of was talking, we had a big discussion about that. And it's kind of like what you're saying here, why? Why is that? And I think part of it, Filling from what we were talking about is that sense of community as writers. I mean, you have a writing organization that's, even though so many people haven't heard about it, has been supporting the writing community in Utah for 85 years. And some of the things they've done have, people are seeing the impact of, but they don't realize it. It's like Utah now has the annual Utah Writers Day at the 1st of December. And it's sponsored now by the state of Utah, and it's something that the league had worked out with them, that every December they work to bring Utah authors into the libraries, into bookstores, all over the state, wherever they can get them in, to do book signings and selling and promoting their books as you lead up to Christmas. That, I think people see that type of support that, yeah, there's a lot of people here that like reading. I've seen the same thing because I've attended Fan X in different levels. And like you said, there's always a big presence of authors. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to hear how they'll say, I sold out. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they're going, I've been to other conventions and I've sold a few books. I came here to this, this you know, pop culture convention and I brought 50 books and they're gone. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's amazing that one thing we do with Writers of the Future at and also DragonCon in Atlanta, mm-hmm. we get a double booth, and um, it's we get a good deal with with the convention because the one 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 of the ten by ten stands we convert that into a table and we just invite past winners to come there and give them a place to do yep. autographings and because yep. they won't necessarily be able to afford getting a booth themselves, so we just do that, and then the the conventions give them free pro badges so they can come in and and do that, do the signings. And yeah. 
what's funny when we do our thing here, like at Salt Lake City Fanex, we'll get maybe 10 winners because there's a lot of winners here. And they come in, they, we work out their slots that they can come and do the signing. And the first one comes, and the second one comes, the first one stays, the third one comes, the first two still stay. So by the end of the day, we've got all these riders that are there just like, because it's yeah. also, you know, like, um, they're all buds. You know, so they're talking to each other. And you know, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but being on the other side, there's one of the things they always say. You can always tell when Brandon Sanderson showed up at the convention because that's where this huge knot of people are that you just have to avoid because you can't get through. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's always on our, on our annual yep, yep, FanX, our Rise yep. of the Future panel, and um, which he really – Really enjoys. He's you know he's one of our oh, yeah. one of our most and he's very very judges. popular here. Yeah, absolutely. And he was you know he's got great stories you know connected with writers to feature himself. He he entered and mm -hmm. he honorable mention and then he proed out big time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, but he's definitely a very popular judge. So on you do reviews and make sure that people can. How does somebody get a hold? How does somebody reach you if they want to be able to discuss or to entertain, have you entertain the idea of doing something with them? Okay. So my blog site, my business name that I use is Guildmaster Gaming. And I actually use that also for my author site. So my author site is just .com. My blog is at blogspot.com. If you go to my website at .com, it has a link. So you can kind of see it through. So it's and, Guildmaster Gaming? Yep. Okay, dot com. Yep. Okay, good. And uh, I've used that, like I said, from my starting, and it just, I've just kept it because, yeah, it's it's there. You know, right. why change a name if it's if it's working? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the best way to like reach me, and I would say this is kind of like with anybody you find, if you read somebody's review, check to see if they have a site, uh, because it's like I always tell authors, one of the things you should be doing is reviewing other books. Um, it's something I learned from reading up about the Inklings, you know, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. One of the big things that that whole group did is they wrote reviews of each other all the time. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, that's one of the things you should do, is if you read something, write a review and get it out there. So if you see a review that you like that they've written, check for the website. In my case, guildmastergaming.com. Go and see what they're reading. Go to see what they're writing. Um, and at that point, if it has a fit to what you're doing, reach out to them and just ask. That's the other thing I always tell people. Though. The only way you can really get reviews is if you ask for them. Right. If you never say, will you review it? You know, and some of them might say, you know, and I'll usually tell people, you know, that this is what I've got in my queue right now. You know, so here's what my timeline is. You know, there have been times when I've had I'll admit it. There's been times when I've had somebody that is an established author come and go, hey, I've got this book coming out in four weeks. Can I slip it into you? And it's like, yeah, I'll try to do a little bit, you know, because, of course, I've already reviewed, you know, a number of their books. So there's always that. But you just reach out, send an email to, you know, find the link and ask. Good. That makes sense. Well, our hour is up and I've I knew it would go fast because I had I was, was so excited about this. <laughs> that was, so was fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, I really, really appreciate you taking your time out of this conference to, to chat with me here today. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We are especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you for having me.